If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And know this, that great things require great sacrifices. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy that make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord with one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition and conceit. But in humility, or literally lowliness of mind, let each consider others more significant, more important than themselves. Let each of you look not only after your own interest, but also on the interest of others. Four years ago, the Lord gave me a dream, a vision, not a literal one, but a deep-seated desire to do the boldest thing Sailorville Church and the Engaged Network have ever done in its endeavors to plant churches, and that is to plant a church on the north side of Ankeny. And I began to tell those who were closest to me about what my desires were and the full understanding of what that would mean. It was the boldest move because it re required more, many more, from Sailorville Church to be a part of it than all other four churches we planted combined. And as I began to talk about it with those closest to me, I had no idea how God would unfold that prayer, that desire, that aspiration of mine. Or how God would challenge me and humble me and begin the process of ridding my own heart of selfish ambition and conceit. And to accept his will, not mine. And at the same time, granting me a renewed sense of joy inexpressible and full of glory in anticipation for what he's going to do. You want to know how that came about? I'll tell you about the end of the message. For now, the Apostle Paul is concerned about this insidious, subtle, but very real thing that was creeping its way into the Philippian church. Namely, disunity. We know it from the two women in chapter 4, Judea and Syntyche, who were fighting. Have you ever been in a church that was stymied by disunity? Ever been in a church like that? I mean, the stories abound. I mean, I read of one here just the other day in Dallas that where the church, the infighting was so great, 
Half the church was on one side. The other church was at, other half of the church on the other side. They were fighting with one another. They, they brought in law enforcement who gave it back to the denomination, who sided with one of the sides. So the, the side that wasn't sided with by the denomination, you know what they did? They moved a block away and started another church. I mean, these stories would be hilarious if they weren't so profoundly sad. Oh, by the way, I didn't tell you. You know what it all started with? One of the lead elders was served a smaller piece of ham than the child next to him. No joke. Truly, little foxes spoil the vine. And Sailorville Church, don't get smug. This stuff has happened here, even on the eve of me coming. Over 20 years ago, there was a, a situation that got completely, almost out of control. Two women fighting with one another. It started with gossip. Other people got involved. People who, whose business, they had no business in the matter, got involved. Leadership got involved. It was ugly. One of them repented and was restored. The other one was disciplined and removed from the church, but not before bodies were strewn all over the place. So the Apostle Paul here is, is making an appeal. He's already made his appeal to the gospel. We heard this in Brad's message last week at the end of chapter 1. This is really one big context. The, the, the chapter division is almost unfortunate. He's talking about the gospel, the thing that sews us together, the thing we work side by side with, end of verse 27 of chapter 1, for the faith of the gospel. So here again, Having made his appeal, watch this, to the gospel, now in chapter 2 in these first four verses, he's appealing to the effects of the gospel. It's as if Paul is saying, if you've experienced the power of the gospel and the love of the Spirit and the genuine love of the saints that binds us together, then pass it on. Strife. And division will kill joy and unity. Paul's going to tell us here that it's going to, if we're going to have this, the kind of joy and unity that the text is referring to here, we're going to have to die to ourselves, our own pride and our own selfishness. So, for the joy of unity, Paul says, embrace the community. Embrace the community. The very first word in the text in the ESV says, so, that harkens us back to the context. Again, what was preached last week. And I want you to notice in these first couple of verses, see how these phrases and these exhortations can be, can't be done, I should say, apart from the unity of community. So, for instance, the word encouragement that's that, it comes from that word parakletos. It means to come alongside. Well, who are we coming alongside of? It takes somebody to come alongside of somebody, right? You, you don't come alongside of yourself unless you're some spiritual schizophrenic. And the word comfort here is a really cool word. It means, it means to speak soothing words in a whisper form. So we, we have tangible and verbal affirmation of one another here. This is talking about embracing community. 
the late Eugene Peterson, who, by the way, one of my heroes who just went to be with the Lord last week, here's his words. He had, there's a profound line in here worth memorizing. He said, there can be no maturity in the Christian life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in and embrace of community. And here's the, here's the, here's the haymaker. I am not myself by myself. Community, not the highly vaunted individualism of our culture, is the setting for living the Christian life, unquote. So embrace the community, Paul says, if we're going to go in the joy of unity. Secondly, Paul says, get your head in the game. Get your head in the game. Notice the word mind mentioned repeatedly in this passage. In fact, it's used three times Four, if you count verse five, in this passage. The word mind, he says, he says be of the same mind. The word literally means to think the same way. Now think about this. By the way, I love the song we sang earlier. And when I think of God, his son not sparing, send him to die, I scarce can take it in. That's half our problem. We never think about what we believe. And he's telling us to have the same mind which means to think the same way. I mean, who thinks the same way? Most of us think very differently about peripheral matters, right? And therein lies the key. Paul wants us to think the same thing on central matters, like the gospel and the life worthy of the gospel, chapter 1, verse 27, that lifts up the Lord Jesus and binds his children together. We're supposed to think the same way on central matters. I met with a friend just the other day, not a part of our church, and we had a great discussion, great fellowship, but then we also had a great debate over a peripheral matter, not a central matter, and not an unimportant matter. It was important, but not central. And the debate was, were we going to make that which was, on the peri- which was meant to be on the periphery, were we going to make it central? That was the debate. Listen, If you keep your head in the game, you won't stumble on things that we differ over that aren't central, right? By the way, this just hit me the other day. Perhaps that's why Paul never tells us what Judea and Syntyche, the two women in chapter 4, he never tells us what they were fighting over. That's the whole point. It didn't matter. It wasn't central. So, church... For the joy of unity, get your head in the game. Thirdly, pursue the joy of oneness. Because like the psalmist says, how good and how beautiful it is for brethren to dwell together in in unity, right? Paul says, complete my joy. So Paul's joy here is inextricably tied into the, the Philippian church's unity with one another. Complete my joy by being of, one, of the same mind. Being in full accord. That's an interesting expression. In fact, that was an unheard of word in the first century. Paul virtually invents the word. The word means, the word literally means one-souled. It describes people knit together having the same passion, same aspiration, same drive, same goal. But being in full accord to what? That's the question. Remember, we're still in context here to what 
we were looking at last week. What are we supposed to be in full accord on? Chapter 1, end of verse 27. Striving side by side for the faith of the what? Of the gospel. That's what makes us one. Now listen. Sailorville Church is a gospel church. We're striving side by side for the gospel. We're conservative, but we're not a conservative church. We counsel, but we're not a counseling church. We're contemporary, but we're not a contemporary church. We're not a liberal church. We're not an issues-driven church. And we, we're not a green church. And for the, if those people who keep sending us these political ads and comparison charts, of which I got a stack, you could have saved a tree by the stuff you sent us the other day. And if that's you, shame on you. I don't want to see another one ever. This is not a political church. It's a gospel church. The Bible doesn't say you must be Republican. It doesn't say you must be Democrat. It says you must be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, and it's the gospel that'll save you. And it pulls us together and it makes us one. So pursue the joy of this kind of oneness. Fourthly, embrace the grace of humility. But first, the negative. He says, don't let anything done through selfish ambition or conceit. The word conceit means empty glory. There's an older expression, vain glory. I think the old King James puts it like that. That's exactly what it means, vain glory. I picked up a book by that title a few months ago. I can't read it all at once because it's like getting an autopsy while you're alive. The idea is having the pursuit of personal glory, which results in selfish ambition. Just the other day, we were in Geneva visiting all these churches, and, and, and uh, another couple and my wife stumbled upon a statue nobody else got to see, by the way. There in Geneva, we stumbled across the statue to Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Anybody know who this guy was? He was a hero of the Enlightenment, a God-hater, Bible authority denier, and an incredibly vain, conceited man. In fact, here's what he wrote. I rejoice in myself. If there is a single enlightened government in Europe, it would have erected statues to me. Apparently, they did. Conceit. Instead, Paul says, but in humility. See the word there? The word, uh, again, the old version says, in lowliness of mind, because the word mind is, is, is tied into this word. So it's getting into our head again. Because you can't be humble unless it's, it trickles through your brain and, and so Paul, Paul has taken this word. Nobody ever referred to somebody else as humble. You can take that down. Nobody ever referred to anybody else as humble. I mean, it was a term of derision to be called humble in the first century, especially this term. It meant to be low. It meant to grovel. That's what the word meant. It meant to be shabby. And Paul virtually converts the meaning of the word through the Holy Spirit making it something beautiful toward the joy of unity. Now be honest, you don't naturally humble yourself, right? I know, because I've confronted a number of you over the years, and you don't ever, you don't ever I mean, there's only been a couple of instances where somebody just instantly humbled themselves. I'm even looking at myself here. 
I had a guy in my office several years ago who was, I had to confront on something, and he just aggressively defended himself, so much so our counseling pastor at the time ran into the office, confronted him for the way he was talking. And what, I mean, what was his response? Being confronted by the lead pastor and by the counseling pastor, what was his response? Show me my sin. Show me my sin. That is not lowly in mind. That's not humble. If you were with us on this tour, as a number of you were, we had a guide. His name was Matthias. Now, if we were to label him in our culture, we'd say he was a liberal. He had a testimony, but it wasn't your classic testimony. But for some reason, it seemed very real to us. Because his humility was palpable. It was powerful. It was appealing to us. I asked him in an interview in front of the entire group, how would you describe yourself? Oh, he says, I would describe myself as an unbaptized Christian. He had trusted Christ, but he hadn't identified. And there was a baptismal right in front of us. He was, ready, he was almost ready to jump into it. I would have jumped in with him. My cold would have turned into pneumonia, but he didn't. But his humility was so powerful, so powerful. And Paul ends up saying here, count others more significant than yourself. That's basically what humility looks like. That's what it looks like. Or as the leader of the orchestra would put it, it takes more grace than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. Embrace the grace of humility. And then fifthly, get out of your own way. Look at verse 4 again. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also on the interest of others. We had a guy who came to Christ just a couple of years ago, part of our cell group today. He, he wrestled through the doctrines of faith and salvation, having been raised in a religious church, but he wasn't a Christian. And at the, at the point of salvation, he said, I had to get out of my own way. That's what pride does. It's you getting in your own way. And some of you are not Christians here today. You need to get out of your own way and see the Son of God and trust him as your Savior. For God and the greater good, if we're going to go forth in the joy of unity, a lot of times we just got to get out of our own way. We're our, we're our biggest problem, biggest stumbling block. And the same goes when it comes to planting churches, especially when you've been the guy leading the charge for 13 years. So we decided through all of our prayers and contemplations and the selection of the man that North Ankeny is where we're going to plant our next church. And this is what I desired four years ago. Boldest move ever. Brought it before God. But because our ways are not God's ways, I rarely have had my prayers answered exactly as I prayed them. Sometimes that happens, but more often than not, there's a little nuance God puts in there. Can you relate to that? Because God, being who he is, is he, he's moved by our righteous desires, but he's also simultaneously doing dozens of things in our lives, like sanctifying us, sanctifying me, humbling us, humbling me, 
dealing with us, dealing with me, keeping us, keeping me from the pride of Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. My dream was that Sailorville would lead this charge. We would provide the lead guy. We would be the ones who would lead like we have in the past. We would be the ones who would open up the coffers and provide the resources to do plant a church with the mightiest potential we've ever had in the history of our church planning. And Jesus said to me, Pat, I love your desire. Especially that part that wants my glory, not yours. I really like that. So here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do, Pat. I'm going to expand my church in North Ankeny, and I'm going to take a bunch of your people, who are really mine, to do it. But you're not going to take the lead on this. Your dear friend Dave Heisterkamp, First Church Plant, Lakeside Fellowship, they're going to take the lead. They'll provide the first church planner, Adam Beecher. You've met him, you've heard him. And oh, by the way, I'll still take your resources. Okay. Speaking of resources, Lakeside Fellowship is sacrificing much to give up one of their premier pastors in Adam Beecher. But they're not just giving up one pastor, they're giving up two. Their administrative pastor, my own nephew, Nathan Nemers, and his family are going there too. So there's a lot of sacrificing because great things require great sacrifice. Now, if you're thinking as you look at this screen, man, this looks unbalanced. Looks like something else, somebody else, someone ought to be in that other slot. You'd be right. You'd be right. And because of our desire that our church plants have a huge soul-winning emphasis, and because we're going to one of the fastest-growing areas in the United States of America, Adam Beecher called me up before I went on sabbatical and basically said, Pat, I got a Hail Mary here, and that's the last time you'll hear a Hail Mary from this pulpit. But it's a good metaphor. It's like swing for the fences, you know. So, Pat, given everything that we're going to try to do here, I, would you let me speak with Chuck DeClean? I said, yes. And since this is really Chuck's story, I'll let him tell you at a different time. But suffice it to say that Instantly, he sensed the will of God in the moment. Submitted it to God, then submitted to the entire eldership here at Sailorville Church. And every one of us agreed with full accord, we were one sold on the whole proposition. And Jesus said, Pat, not only are you not going to take the lead on this, I'm going to take from you one of the greatest treasures of Sailorville Church in Chuck DeClean to do my will in North Ankeny. And so with a heavy heart and yet joy inexpressible and full of glory, 
I said, Lord, your will be done. The other day, we were in Worms, Germany. At the very location where Martin Luther stood before the Catholic Council, all of his books spread out before him, all of his writings, Reformation writings on grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone, the Bible alone, to the glory of God alone. And they said, you need to recant. Luther famously said, my conscience is bound to the word of God. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. And there at that spot where we talked about these things, there was a memorial, a piece of art. And they had a giant oversized bronze or steel medieval pair of shoes. Probably size 30 or 40. The point was clear. You can't feel those shoes. You can't feel those shoes. And let me just tell you, Sailorville Church, we can't fill the shoes of Chuck the Clean. But we don't have to. We just need to be filled by God, the Holy Spirit. And then we'll go forward. And by his help, we will. That's what we need to be filled with, right? God, not another man. Here we stand. We can do no other. God help us. Amen. And so, a few days ago, I dropped all this on my wife. I'd kept it from her during our devotion time. And she cried. Then I cried. Then we cried. And then we worshiped. She'd already picked out the song. And with tears, we sang, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. To thee all the follies of sin, I resign. And through our tears, we resurrendered our lives to God and to his mission. Will you do the same? Let's stand.